The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. This is a special episode of the History of the World podcast, written for History of the World podcast Illuminati member Nick Kabilafkas. The subject is the Khoisan people. Khoisan peoples are a group of culturally and ethnically linked peoples who live in the south of the continent of Africa and who are therefore linked to the national politics of the country of South Africa, which we know to have had its struggles when looking after the diverse mixture of ethnic identities that reside within its modern borders. Peoples who are categorised as Khoisan are all too aware of this and will also feel that the label Khoisan does not necessarily represent their own personal feelings about who they are, with the word Khoisan actually being a portmanteau of the ethnic identity words Khoikhoi and San, who are two distinct cultures of these lands. Due to the fact that they share cultural and linguistic similarities, it has become convenient for outsiders to refer to them as the Khoisan. But let's try to take some time to try to understand who these people are, the history of their cultures, and how the various migrations and politics of the more modern times have shaped them into the Khoisan that we refer to in the modern world. In the modern and developed world, we are fascinated by the cultures of the world around us and how they link us to aspects of our very being. And the Khoisan cultures are viewed as one of the most ancient cultures on our planet, and are therefore very interesting for those of us who are trying to learn about our past. It is important to point out that this can lead to these cultures being seen as undeveloped and novel by those who look to preserve their elite position of their own ethnicity and this exacerbates tensions that exist among Khoisan populations who are struggling to have their human rights respected in the same way as other populations. Despite the Khoisan retaining aspects of their ancient traditions and lifestyles, they are as much a part of the modern population of today's world as any other. During the sequence of Volume 1 of the History of the World podcast, we speculated about the nature of relatively recent human evolution and the expansive voids that exist in our knowledge when trying to piece together the timelines and relationships between disparate tribes of human beings, who due to their evolution in various locations within the continent of Africa may develop physical attributes common 
among their populations that may distinguish them from other tribal societies of humans elsewhere in Africa. Some experts speculate that modern Homo sapiens are the result of these disparate populations of humans intermingling and procreating before they would have become too distinct. The study of the populations of Khoisan cultures have led scientists to believe that the modern Khoisan are descendants of a population of humans who did not intermingle with other populations and remained disparate. This has led scientists to suggest that among all of the world's human populations, the Khoisan cultures are the most disparate of all surviving human populations, having diverged from other humans earlier than any other disparate groups, such as those who have evolved in isolation on the islands in the Pacific, for example. With no water barrier between the ancestors of the Khoisan and the rest of humankind, this seems incredible when first suggested. The speculation that the Khoisan are descendants of an ancient isolation of human tribes is certainly evident when looking at their ways of life since their rediscovery by other human populations. Their lifestyles, medicine and artwork, as examples, are much more in relation to those of human populations of millenniums gone by than many other modern societies. Their indigenous African qualities have led to them being afforded similar respect and in some cases disrespect to other indigenous populations of the world such as Native American Indians, Aboriginal Australians and New Zealand Maori as examples. Although DNA study is sometimes open to interpretation and debate, the Khoisan peoples are closely associated to all humans that can be distinguished as belonging to Hapla Group A. Hapla Group A is defined as those humans descended from the earliest variations of humans that did not evolve to become Hapla Group BT and its descendants, which diverged around 150,000 years ago, and therefore before modern Homo sapiens are believed to have emerged from Africa and populated the rest of the world. So modern Hapla Group A populations are descended from a branch of Africans that diverged from all other humans before this time, which is why they are considered among the most unique and unrelated humans on the face of today's planet. Hapla Group A is the Y-chromosomal Hapla Group, with the relevant mitochondrial Hapla Group, in this case being L0. As mentioned before, the Khoisan cultures of Africa are a collection of cultures that share similarities and as such have been grouped together for the convenience of modern reference. Among the distinguishing physical factors of Khoisan peoples are the light black skin which appears distinct from the skin colour of the darker black Bantu peoples who reside in large areas of the southern half of Africa. Khoisan populations tend to have tightly curled black hair which is referred to as resembling peppercorn. Khoisan populations tend to have epicanthic folds on their eyes which is a typical eye feature of most Far East populations such as Chinese people and is something that gives them their distinct look. Khoisan populations tend to display 
high cheekbones. The former South African president Nelson Mandela's face shape is somewhat typical of Khoisan face shapes and has led speculation as to whether he had an element of Khoisan ancestry in his bloodline. The small body stature is distinct to the Sang cultures of the Khoisan populations though, demonstrating the dangers of referring to anyone as Khoisan due to the further and obvious distinctions among them all. The ease at which foreign cultures have collectively lumped these cultures together has led to a racial distinction between the Khoisan peoples and other ethnic populations, particularly in the country of South Africa, that has had consequences on these people. The Khoisan peoples, along with being referred to as the Khoisan, have been variously referred to in history as Bushmen, Hottentots, Cape, Blacks and Coloureds, by migrating populations. The traditional known distribution of Khoisan language speakers are not dissimilar from the area of the Kalahari Desert. Although we have regularly referred to the country of South Africa, the distribution in the desert is much more centred on the modern country of Namibia and its border with Botswana, with a significant population also in southern Angola. The overwhelming non-European language family of the southern half of Africa is the Bantu language family. So the Khoisan language speakers make up a comparatively small percentage by comparison to the Bantu language speakers. In Namibia, over 10% of the population speak the Khoikhoi language, which is distinct from the languages spoken by the San people. Due to the distinct clicking consonant sounds, the languages of the Khoikhoi and the San were believed to be closely related, but this is now disputed. Early History If we distinguish the Khoikhoi and the San people from one another, we believe that the San people were hunter-gatherer peoples who were typically found in the southern portion of Africa and that the Khoikhoi people migrated into the lands of the San around 2,000 years ago. The expert mobility of the Khoikhoi may be supported by a number of observations. The Khoikhoi were pastoralists, which means that they were animal herders, and that they would have been able to follow herds in numbers, and this may have been essential to them, due to the aridness of the lands of the Kalahari Desert requiring the Khoikhoi to be expertly nomadic in their living nature. To the San people it is likely that the Khoikhoi and their culture was initially quite alien to them and this may have brought about tensions but ultimately the two cultures did coexist even if not entirely harmoniously. The Khoikhoi were expert sheep herders before they became expert cow herders and they created pottery but they were not iron workers. Despite the fact that the distribution of Khoisan languages and cultures appears to be concentrated around the lands of the Kalahari Desert, it is notable to see some cultural links to East Africa which raises a number of questions. Two language isolates in the country of Tanzania, namely Sandawe and Hadza, 
appear to contain those very distinctive clicking consonant sounds of the Khoisan languages of the lands around the Kalahari. And there also can be found examples of rock art which have characteristics typical of the San cultures. The fact that we believe that Bantu speakers originated from the rainforests of Western Africa and gradually migrated into the lands of Southern Africa may now disguise a language distribution that existed beforehand, which may have connected the far south of Africa to Eastern Africa, making the connection of Khoisan characteristics easier to swallow as a theory. Linguists feel confident that there was a significant migration of Bantu speakers into southern Africa, especially when evidence of iron working and agriculture appears to have emerged in these lands at a similar time, two things that were not evident before this supposed migration. Bantu speakers now make up the vast majority of non-European-based languages in the southern part of Africa, with speakers of the Khoisan languages being a considerable minority around the lands of the Kalahari Desert. European Migrations The earliest Europeans in Africa are seen as invaders. Invaders of territory and invaders of culture as they colonised lands and transported African peoples from the western coasts across the Atlantic to the lands of the Americas for labour. Possibly around 30% of African peoples shipped across the Atlantic were Bantu language speakers. By this period of history, Bantu languages had diversified considerably across their wide geographical range. From the 15th century onwards, European nations began to explore the wider world at a rapidly accelerating rate. Interest in Oriental produce created business opportunities for those with the ability to invest in the naval transport of such goods, some of the most lucrative being ground spices including pepper, which were easy to store and transport in large quantities. Successful transcontinental Portuguese traders came under competitive pressure from Dutch traders during the 16th century. The English were also in competition for Oriental trade opportunities and in the earliest years of the 17th century both the English and the Dutch had created East India companies designed to create some regulation to this thriving spice trade. Ancient canals linking the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea had always been difficult to maintain and as such any precursors to the modern Suez Canal often fell into disrepair or were deemed too expensive to construct. Therefore European sailors deemed it necessary to navigate their ships around the continent of Africa in order to reach India and the Far East. The naval journey would be long and arduous, so the Dutch established an outpost at the Cape of Good Hope, a small peninsula of land jutting out from the southern coast of Africa. This would become a place for rest and resupply for the Europeans. The indigenous peoples that the Dutch encountered here were the Khoisan cultures. 
These cultures would have first been discovered by the first Portuguese explorers over a hundred years earlier. Dutch naval traders noted the style of language being spoken by the indigenous population as containing the clicking sounds that were somewhat unique to the Khoisan languages. It was due to this style of speaking that the Dutch referred to these Khoikhoi peoples as Hottentots and they would interact often by trading tools for animals. The Khoikhoi peoples were still very mobile due to the fact that they were still practising pastoralism, so sometimes the Dutch would encounter an abundance of Khoikhoi people, while other times they would encounter very few. The Dutch quickly recognised that the fertility of the lands in this region of Africa were much better suited climatically to European farming styles as opposed to the arid deserts and the tropical climates to be found further north on the African continent. Both the Dutch and the English would quickly recognise an opportunity to establish an actual colony at the Cape of Good Hope. The Dutch were the ones to invest significantly in the establishment of a colony during the 1650s and although there was a trade relationship with the Khoikhoi, the Khoikhoi were very concerned about the Dutch intentions to take more land and more natural resources for themselves, which meant that they were reluctant to offer manpower to the Dutch, which was required in order to make the colony a success. By 1655, the Dutch were farming their own livestock, and using crop rotation techniques to maximise the produce of the lands. As the Dutch began to distribute lands to individuals, it became clear to the Khoikhoi and the sand tribes around the lands of the Cape that the Dutch were starting to take over. They would overcome labour pressures by importing slave labour from Madagascar and the Malay archipelago. The Khoikhoi peoples referred to as the Hottentots and the Sam people referred to as the Bushmen created an alliance against the Dutch settlers and began to raid their lands and steal their livestock. It would be down to a man called Jan van Riebeck, the commander of the Dutch Cape Colony, to exploit the divisions between the Khoisan alliance and reach terms with them. The terms were not really favourable for the Khoisan, with the Dutch insisting that the lands of the Cape Colony were now the spoils of war, even though it was recorded that the Khoisan had claimed their homelands to have been forcibly and unfairly taken from them by the Dutch, questioning how the Dutch would feel if the Khoisan started doing the same thing back in Holland. The Khoisan were being told that due to the actions of their raiding parties, that the Dutch now had legal freedom to take whatever lands they pleased. So the Dutch spent the coming decades importing more slave labour and increasing the population and in turn increasing their land coverage by expansion. The Khoisan would periodically oppose Dutch expansion, but despite their ability to create difficulties for the Dutch, the Khoisan would tend to be overpowered by the advanced abilities and weapons that the Dutch possessed. In the year 1713, a Dutch ship docked at the Cape of Good Hope, but the crew of the ship had been affected by an outbreak of smallpox. 
the crew's linen was taken ashore to be washed, but the disease began to spread throughout the colonialists and their slaves. Eventually, the smallpox would spread to the Quitan populations and reportedly having devastating effects on them due to a general lack of physical defences against the disease among the Quitan. It's the smallpox that is said to have significantly diminished the Khoisan people's numbers and consequentially their influence over the lands in contact with the Cape Colony, although some experts say that it was just something that sped up the inevitability of Dutch suppression of the Khoisan and their lands. From this point on, the Khoisan cultures would not be able to significantly impact the affairs of the European settlers. Those Khoisan peoples who were not integrated into the Dutch workforce dispersed into the countryside and went back to the more traditional methods of living such as hunter-gathering. In the meantime the Dutch population was growing and new settlers would need to look for their own fortunes away from the well-populated Cape. This meant that Europeans were now looking to the lands formerly occupied by the Khoisan for their own livelihoods, but due to the barrenness of the landscape, agriculture was not an option. So now Dutch settlers, not able to occupy the fertile lands near the Cape, were turning to pastoralism and hunter-gatherer lifestyles themselves. These new Dutch farmers would need to remain mobile to maintain this way of life and were therefore referred to as trekboers, effectively Dutch for wagon farmers. As the 18th century rolled on, tensions between the Khoisan and the trekboers who were encroaching on Khoisan lands became fraught with danger of conflict. Those Khoisan who were not killed were integrated into the Trekboer tribes, where they would be used for slave labour, but some would also inevitably contribute to the future bloodlines through procreation. After the British captured the Dutch Cape Colony in the early 19th century, the Trekboers of the lands, referred to as the interior, were among the Dutch descendants who were now defending their rights against new British rules and laws. The Trekboers would be among the ancestral classes of the Boers of South Africa, who were essentially the descendants of all of the free burghers of the Dutch Cape Colony. The Khoisan would be much more closely linked to the Boers politically in the emerging modern English-speaking state of South Africa. Many Khoisan cultures retained their historical ways of life and their languages during this period of rapid change and shifting powers which turned the Cape Colony into the Republic of South Africa. But in the formation of South Africa it became too convenient to pigeonhole the Khoisan people into a category called coloureds, which referred to their skin tone and subsequently caused them ill treatment due to the racist style of bureaucracy employed within South Africa during the 20th century. Rock Art Venturing towards the South African interior from the settled coastal lands such as the Cape of Good Hope and the modern city of Cape Town, and we arrive at a semi-arid expanse of land referred to as the Karua before going further north takes us into the Kalahari Desert. The Karua 
was traditionally lands in which the southern Khoikhoi pastoralists and the San hunter-gatherers lived their lives and it is here that we have discovered prehistoric rock art which tells us of South Africa's deep and rich human past. In fact, if we go back to volume one of this podcast, then we discovered that some of the earliest human artwork known can be discovered in South Africa at sites such as Blombos Cave. It may be impossible to know what connection the people who created this rock art over 70,000 years ago have with the modern Khoikhoi and San tribes, but certainly some of the more modern rock arts of the last 3,000 years can be more accurately attributed. Due to the sand culture's retention of their prehistoric ways of life, we can see rock art created by sand peoples from both before and after European colonisation. Sand rock art depicts that very common nature of prehistoric humans to have a very profound regard for the wonder of the natural world and the feeling of there being some deeper meaning to everything with depictions of anthropomorphic shamans who some people may have felt could connect them to the spirits who guided and influenced life on earth. The animals of the planet may have had a sacred significance to the sand people as they were frequently depicted in their rock art, with the eland antelope and the mantis insects having particular significance. It is speculated that sand rock art was produced by people who had consumed hallucinogenics and therefore assumed a trance-like state which they may have believed gave them a connection to the spiritual world. It is interesting to speculate about the fact that the anthropomorphic figures depicted may represent hunters disguised as animals in order to be able to approach prey animals easier. This reminds us not to get too carried away in our thoughts of just blindly assuming that every piece of rock art that depicts a human with an animal's head has to be a shaman. The fact that some of the rock art depicts humans with modern clothing, guns and wagons gives us an insight into the San way of life prevailing in the colonial era as we can safely assume that we are seeing images of aggressive trek boas and their European successors encroaching on sand territories. Medicine We always have to be very careful when discussing cultural aspects of the Khoisan people to remember that the Khoisan is a catch-all term for the earliest indigenous peoples of South Africa who resided in these lands before the Bantu expansion described earlier in the episode. The Khoisan, as already mentioned, are all of the distinct Khoikhoi and San cultures who have a wide range. Their cultures have been somewhat protected by their expertise to live in the semi-arid environments and their constant marginalisation by immigrants to their lands over the centuries. So the Khoisan peoples share a deep pride in their beliefs and traditions which serve them more loyally than any foreign culture has. It would be easy to dismiss some of the Khoikhoi traditions as being typically prehistoric and animistic, but that doesn't necessarily do justice for their traditions. 
we can certainly cite similarities to the animistic and shamanistic traditions of world history, but it's thanks to the work of individuals such as Dr Chris Lowe, an undergraduate and postgraduate from the University of Oxford, who has worked closely with many Khoisan societies, that we have a deeper understanding of these cultures which seem distant from the understandings of the more developed world. Khoisan traditions seem to develop from the notion of there being a form of abstract energy that determines wellness. Although this energy cannot necessarily be seen, it can be influenced by a number of factors. If this energy is misplaced or in the incorrect abundance, it can cause illness. So for example, the presence of too much potent energy may cause a rush of adrenaline, that can cause the heart to race and result in stress to the human body and subsequent illness. Energies can be influenced by the weather, particularly by wind and storms. They can also be influenced by massage, which can move energies to the correct parts of the body and in the correct proportions. It can also be influenced by trance dancing. With the use of hallucinogenics, we are aware that the sand tribes attempt to heal each other by carrying out this ritual which may be a means to reach out to their dead ancestors to harness their wisdom. While this style of healing is debunked by modern societies dealing in scientific treatments, the San peoples believe that modernisation has actually caused humankind to lose touch with their spiritual connections. Language. The characteristics of Khoisan languages are highlighted to the modern ear by the use of clicking consonant sounds, which are absent from the vast majority of the world's modern languages. In fact, the use of these consonant sounds demonstrates a high level of vocal and oral dexterity due to the fact that the clicking sounds are produced at the front of the mouth. Of course, we do find clicking sounds in the other languages of the world, including English, such as with the letter K. The English letter K is an aspirated click in the back of the throat, which gives it a much more common sound. The Khoisan clicks are much more unusual. The Khoikhoi language, which is spoken by 10% of the population in Namibia and also spoken in some parts of Botswana and South Africa demonstrates four click sounds which are created at the front of the mouth and can all be demonstrated in the sentence im ab ah which is a koikoi suggestion to go to dance due to the fact that i do not and have never spoken in the koikoi language my rendition is likely not going to be a good one, but it does provide a general idea of the uniqueness of the sounds at least. Modern Identity Those descendants of the Khoikhoi and the San who live in isolation from modern societies and their modern ways of life are not necessarily left alone to live off the lands that they consider to be their ancestral right to live from. In Botswana, there has been a considerable effort to relocate some sand tribes from their homes. 
For those peoples of the sand tribes, this severs their connection to their ancestry. Their forefathers are buried in the lands that they live in, and each generation is brought up to learn how to hunt and forage in those particular barren lands. The expertise and knowledge of survival in the lands that they and their mothers and fathers and their grandmothers and grandfathers before them survived on gives their life meaning and is the fabric of their existence. Members of the governing class of Botswana will argue that they are trying to improve their lives by modernising their living conditions. During the 19th century, those few remaining descendants of the Khoikhoi who lived within the Cape Colony lost most of their lands to those who lived around them, including Bantu language-speaking Africans, Boers who had descended from the Dutch migrants who were forced into the interior by the British, and indeed the British settlers themselves, who would ultimately become the people who would rebel against the United Kingdom and form the independent Republic of South Africa. During the earliest years of independent South Africa, the minority white governors installed a system of apartheid which denied black South Africans human rights allowed for the whites, a system condemned by many other countries who looked to cut off South Africa from the rest of the world during the 20th century until it reformed. During this period, black South Africans were demanded to live in separation, but as for those who identified themselves as Khoikhoi, they were identified not as black, but as coloured. Coloured people, including Khoikhoi and Sam peoples, but also any mixed-race descendants of Boers and imported slaves and even Africans and other Europeans. Coloureds were created to contain all of the diverse groups that were not white or black. In the modern age, apartheid has been officially ended and black South Africans are now reclaiming the rights that they had lost during the 20th century. But the coloureds seem to be comparatively forgotten in this wider picture, and koi even more so as they are small minority of the coloured communities. The Khoikhoi languages, including Nama and the San languages, are not even recognised among the 11th official languages of South Africa. In Cape Town, many coloured communities are marginalised and even relocated from places that they lived. Some ethnically queer people within the coloured communities even began to see themselves as coloured, feeling shame for their queer identity and the way that they were treated even within coloured communities. For those who are proud of their Khoi ancestry, they are reminded that their ancestors respected ancestry as a part of the very being of Khoi Khoi identity. So now there is a definite movement for those ethnically Khoi people to begin to remind South Africa that they are the true Aboriginal people of the lands that they all live in today. Now, their biggest obstacle is themselves as they struggle to identify a central authority who can bind the most ancient culture alive on the planet to head towards a common goal in the modern world that they now have to survive in.
Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the History of the World podcast, a special episode about the Khoisan peoples of Southern Africa. And that was a special episode written for History of the World podcast Illuminati member Nick Kabilafkas as a means to say thank you for your support of the History of the World podcast. Of course, next week we'll be moving on to a special episode for History of the World podcast Illuminati member pre-carpenter and it will be about the history of Crete. Now let's move on to other features. The Ancient World Cup. Okay, seems like a long time since we last did this, doesn't it? But let's uh, let's summarise exactly what we're doing for those listeners who may be new to the History of the World podcast. Um, we've introduced a little competition, just a bit of fun. Uh, we've taken 64 ancient cultures or peoples and we've put them all into a massive draw so uh, those 64 teams were drawn out into 16 groups of four and then uh, week by week what we've been doing is we've been voting for our favorites in each of those 16 groups and uh, the two uh, cultures that came top of their groups advanced in the competition so we uh, we narrowed it down to 32 teams and now we're in the knockout stages. So we've got culture versus culture and there's 16 matches to find out who the final 16 cultures are. Now we already know that the Macedonians, the Scythians, the Britons, the Franks, the Babylonians, the ancient Egyptians, the Sumerians and the Phoenicians have made it through to the third round of this competition. But now we need to find out who the other eight teams are. So over the course of the next eight uh, weeks, we should be uh, we should be able to narrow it down to the final sixteen. Now the first match will be match number nine of the round of thirty-two, the second round of the competition, and it will uh, it will pit the Romans up against the Cushites. So with the Romans, of course, we're referring to classical Rome and the Western Roman Empire. So the the Roman Republic and the imperial movement of the Roman Republic that conquered Carthage and then took over the Italian peninsula, crushed the Macedonians and took over all of the Greek-speaking lands of of the Balkan Peninsula and then marched on into uh, the Asian lands and uh, gave great headaches to the Persians um, in their heyday under Trajan and Hadrian uh, when it was the Roman Empire. And of course, uh, later on, of course, the Roman Roman Empire did uh, collapse over time, but of course, not before it had really made a considerable... a considerable impact on the on the known world and culturally uh, the advancements were were considerable and of course um the uh, the they were really fundamental to the proliferation of the christian church so that's the romans and then of course the other the other uh, their opponents are the cushites who um who come from the upper nile southern ethiopia and, and northern sudan um, they they ultimately they eventually they were sort of ancestral to the original Nubians, um, just beyond the cataracts of the Nile, uh, if travelling south, 
and uh, they they did eventually um, become the pharaohs of Egypt. So they they did actually for a period take over during the the uh, the struggles with the Assyrians, etc. And um, it was during that period that we see these uh, these very um, these very unique pyramids that they built, and uh, they certainly were um a an interesting culture to say, to say the least the kushites so um the romans versus the kushites uh, voting will begin on facebook on the tapper talk forum and uh, also um on the study of nick barksdale's study of antiquity in the middle ages youtube um page uh, or the facebook page that's dedicated to the youtube channel i should say and uh, and on Twitter, so you'll be able to vote in any of those forums for who you would like to advance for the next round. The results will be announced in next week's podcast. Listener messages and reviews. We should be able to shoot through these. Of course, we did um, we did publish an episode last week, so we were doing two week gaps previous to that. But um, Jeff Nye, who's a History of the World podcast Illuminati member, has put Chris. Uh, love your podcast. Learn so much and excited to learn more. I've been donating for quite some time, but I don't think I've received any of the rewards from the various tiers. Would you be able to assist me with this? Um, the Yes, Jeff. Um, if you're a member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati, I used to send you messages through the Patreon uh, website. So it has its own messaging service on that website. But then I stopped doing that and I started emailing. Um, individuals to let them know that they'd achieved the tiers. So um, to any History of the World podcast Illuminati member, if you're waiting to hear of your reward and you think, well, hang on a minute, I've qualified for the reward, but I haven't received a message saying that I, you know, offering the reward to me, um, just get in touch. Um, It's not a problem. And sometimes messages get lost in cyberspace, don't they? Or they might end up in the in the in the junk folder or the spam folder just uh, just get in touch it's no problem at all i'm more than happy to issue those rewards to those people who've uh, supported the podcast of course and uh jeff i've just sent you um the 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 four messages and the two emails that you've been sent over the course of the last two years and uh, please do have a look and uh, find out um you know what you're entitled to and and certainly make sure that you claim your rewards um you've done enough for the podcast now it's time for you to get something back so thanks for the message jeff um daniel brooks has written in um but hi chris i just wanted to write again and let you know how much i love the podcast i've been a member now for one and a half years and i feel like it's the best money i've ever spent dan uh, you are of course a, a history of the world podcast illuminati member and a and a very um, a very highly valued benefactor of the project. So um, it's great to hear from you, Dan. Um, you've gone on to write, my commute to work is about 35 minutes and since I've been listening at 1.5 times speed, I now always finish each episode I start. Keep up the great work. Your effort is much appreciated. Uh, Dan from Connecticut. Thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful for your message, Jan- uh, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> change your name as well i'm really grateful for your message dan and um it's great to hear from you and i'm really grateful for all the support that you've given to the history of the world podcast 
Um, yeah, you're not the first person to uh, say that you listen to the podcast at 1.5 times the normal speed. I've seen that a number of times um, over the course of the last four years. And, I, and of course, I, I do try to talk at a very deliberate pace because that's how I like to um, listen to my podcasts. Um, I like them to be quite deliberately paced because my brain is quite slow at processing information. Um, and it seems a lot of you um, have brains that process information faster, certainly a lot faster than me. And uh, you're able to still enjoy the podcast at a faster speed, which I suppose is great because you, you can choose and still enjoy it. So um, so that's a positive thing, I suppose. But um, thank you very much, Dan. And of course, don't forget, of course, Dan, you've qualified for rewards for, thanks to your um, to your dedication and, and support of the project. So don't forget to claim your rewards. Um, if you want to become a member of the History of the World podcast and qualify for these wonderful rewards, then please do go to the History of the World podcast.com website and click on the Patreon link. And there you can see what entitlements are on offer and you can sign up and support the podcast and help me make it great for a long, long time to come. Um, and then Lynn Dowling has written in. She actually asked me, um, she, once again, another History of the World podcast Illuminati member, highly valued. Um, and um, has asked me about advice for her visit to the UK. She comes from San Diego. She wants to visit the UK and has asked me for a bit of advice about places to go and things to see, and I've, I've tried my best to, to point her in the right direction. Um, but also, she's quite interested to find out more about the country of Thailand and the history of Thailand. Now, of course, we will be um, visiting in Indochina later on in the episode, but of course, yeah, Thailand with its rich history, um, once again, I mean, it's the same challenge that we're going to have next week is fitting in the history of one culture or one people's, the entire history uh, into one episode. So I'll have a look and see what can be achieved. And uh, of course, next week, we're going to be uh, we're going to be publishing the entire history of the island of Crete. What a challenge that's going to be. But I'll tell you what, that that island has been through some uh, incredible periods in its history. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to explore that more. Let's um, find out um, who um, has joined the History of the World podcast Illuminati mem uh, membership this week. Um, the new member is Erin Vile. Erin Vile, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, but you are now a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati and we are incredibly grateful for your support. So thank you very much. I'm just going to look now to see if any, uh, any new reviews have come through. Uh, since our podcast episode last week, um, History and Entertainment from Canada has, has uh, written a review saying, amazing, five stars. This is one of the best podcasts for history lovers. I'm a huge history nerd and I have an obsession with understanding the past and I love how well the information in this podcast is presented and laid out chronologically. Chris has such a kind, calming voice with the most endearing accent. I really like that he presents the facts and lets you derive your own opinion about it. So I appreciate how much work has gone into it and how educational it is while being so entertaining. Listening from Vancouver, Canada. Thank you, history and entertainment. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. It's good to be back. Next week, it's the history of Crete. 
don't miss it. And before I go, for all of you History of the World Podcast Illuminati members that are still uh, contributing through Patreon, keep an eye on your Patreon feed of, or the Patreon feed for the History of the World Podcast because I'm planning to uh, give you some special episodes or some special sort of debriefs on there um, to the episodes that we're publishing. So please do not forget to check that out. Until next week, be good. The History of the World Podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.